Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, make it a midnight release. Well, they'll have three more books after this. I have the middle of the week off, so it's like I got like Monday, Tuesdays off, so, you know, I might. Depends on how tired I am after we record. That's a Tuesday night. (laughs) 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 Oh, no, would it be be Monday? Would it be like midnight on Monday, Yeah, going into Tuesday. Oh, then I can't because then I'll be too tired to record Millennial. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. And I'm Pamela. Laura's on vacation this week, but we're joined by one of our longtime friends this week, actually a former hypable writer themselves. Tarek Rauf is with us today. Hi, Tarek. Welcome. Hey, you got it right. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's so good to have you, Tarek. I oh mean, my gosh. We've, um, we've known each other for a really long time. How have you been? You're in the Pacific Northwest now? Yeah. I moved to Seattle about like six years ago almost. Um, I've been good. You know, I have like taken freelancing more seriously and now I've gotten into like a bunch of more publications. Like Hypable really started my whole writing journey. So it's it, it's a full circle moment right here. So I'm very happy to be with you too. Oh, that's, that's so sweet. nice. Now, if Pam and I talk about this on the on air, actually, from time to time, it is amazing how Hypable was a springboard for lots of people. Mm-hmm. And that just that's one of my favorite parts about the Hypable years. It's cool to see like everybody, like what everybody has gone on to do, too. Like we've had um, Karen on Karen's mm-hmm. published author. And yeah. we always see your headlines whenever those pop up on Twitter. And, yeah. you know, we've had people go on to do screenwriting and start their own sites. It's been really great. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. love seeing the success of everyone from Hypable. It's just like, makes my heart all warm. Yeah. Proud Papa energy <laughs> over here. I'm just, I'm just so, it's, it's great. <laughs> But yeah, so well, what is the Pacific Northwest like? I did want to ask you about this question because <laughs> actually you did post this morning. It is quite expensive. But oh, other yeah. than that, are you enjoying it? <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. So like I'm from San Francisco. I mean, like Pam would know, like we're both from the Bay. Um, and I think Seattle's like San Francisco, San Francisco's like cooler sister. Um, no offense, Pam. I know you love SF. Uh, but I, I think Seattle. I do, but I also love Seattle. So <laughs> I understand. And and her brother's in Portland, so yeah, her my heart is in in, uh, in the Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love it. Like it's so beautiful here. I moved in the fall, and like the first thing I noticed was like all the leaves changing. I was like, oh my god, I get seasons. I just love having mm. every single season. It's incredible. That's nice. And like, I don't. Yeah, have you to were do in LA snow. for a little bit. Yeah. Oh God, fuck LA. Sorry, can I swear? We're all in LA for a little bit. We all overlapped for like a few years. It's nice. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I've said about California and LA in particular, it's nice to move there. It can be nice to move there. I get the dream. I get why people want to move there. Mm-hmm. But inevitably, there's a period of time that you hit and it happens to everybody. 
except for one of our listeners, Shane, who's a lifelong LA, LA, Los Angeles, whatever. Eventually, you hit a moment where you're like, you know what? I'm done with this fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that was nine years. Oh, for you too, it was oh how God. long? For me, it was like oh, three, three and a half. Three. Pam? I think I maybe got to six. Maybe. Six. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is like I, I, the other thing. Okay, well, Shane is a different case. I think anybody that like grows up there is like yes. way mm-hmm. different. Um, I never really wanted to move there, <laughs> but you know, life <laughs> okay. just happened. But I do think that like that that's a good city to like, kind of like similarly to New York, it, it's a good city to be in in your twenties mm-hmm. if you're yeah. really trying yes. to like do something that you can only make happen there. Like I don't begrudge LA for helping me expand my horizons and elevate my career but there's a reason i left and i think there's a reason that you two left yeah i mean you really just if you're gonna be in la you need to make sure that you surround yourself with the right people Mm -hmm. yeah Um, that's really what it's all about because there's so many i don't know like (laughs) mean people in la as at but yeah and like what's really funny is like the only people that love la that i've learned are the people from there because Mm -hmm. they truly know it in and out and you don't really get that as an outsider yeah well i did not i truly was not intending to transition in this way but speaking of hollywood there is an update on one of the strikes right pam yeah so the writers guild of america wga has officially reached a tentative deal with the amptp which is the amptp represents all of the studios and streamers so this is a really big deal because they have been on strike. The writers have been on strike for 154 days. And this news actually came down on Sunday night. So just a couple of days ago. And this is really exciting because all of us are creative here on the panel today. I know that the listeners that we have on this show, some of them are creatives too, or they're just fans of people that create the things that we love. And so it's really nice to see that you know, sounds like they've reached a deal that they feel like is fair for them. They've been fighting for a really long time. So this is the best outcome possible for sure. We don't have any details with regards to what agreements were reached or what they had to, you know, give in on or what the studios decided to finally give in on. And it's probably because they haven't drafted up the official contract yet. So it's probably a few days away or maybe a couple of weeks away before the general public will know about that. But um, as for what happens next, um, picketing has stopped for now and the agreement still needs to be ratified. So that means that the guild's board and also members need to approve it before the strike is officially over. So we won't be seeing writers go back to work right away, but it sounded like they were trying to kind of um, figure out how to ratify that by the middle of this week. So, I mean, stay tuned to all of your entertainment news outlets because we'll be off the air, but they'll definitely tell you when, you know, the contract has been signed. I can't wait to see that contract. Like I like, or like know what's in the contract because the fact that they said in their email to the WGA staff, that it was exceptional. I was like, okay, well, this has got to be like really good gains. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So I did see in the New York Times, uh, like you said, Pam, fine print has not been released, but the agreement has much of what the writers had demanded, including increases in compensation for streaming content, concessions from studios on minimum staffing for TV shows and guarantees that AI tech will not enroach, encroach on writers' credits and compensation. So, um, but what... So I I also just wanted to touch quickly on, you know, what'll happen once this is all wrapped up. 
the late night talk shows are expected to resume quickly. I'm excited for late uh, last week tonight with John Oliver. The other ones I really don't care about. <laughs> I guess SNL. I like I like SNL. Um, if that counts. But then there was also this industry source called Puck News um, that reported several projects are expected to be announced once the strike is over. I wanted to bring this up because, quote, Greg Daniels is set to do a reboot of The Office, for instance. <laughs> and I think everybody's like, no, no. Mm-mm. Disney's Dana Walden will finally be able to announce the return of her BFF, Ryan Murphy, from Netflix. And a ton of high-profile movie scripts will come in and I guess maybe be announced. So that was all from Puck News. But um, yeah, Office needs to be untouched. But it sounds like that's like final. They've just been waiting to announce it but haven't wanted to during the strike. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That makes sense to me. The only mm-hmm. way I could see that working out is if it's about Gen Z in the office and how they don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, a whole different generation. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Imagine if it's like the office, but remote. So it's like entirely <laughs> from a Zoom screen. <laughs> or at least one of the employees is fully remote. That would be yeah. funny. No, yeah. Nobody wants to go to the office anymore. No, yeah. no. Okay. A modern office. That Okay. Maybe this does have some potential. It's just, it was so character driven that show. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't stand those later seasons without Steve Carell. And even some of the other office cast members they brought in just have like I never liked Andy personally. So I it's just gonna it seems like such such a delicate show. It was so unique for so many different reasons. Like mm-hmm. I don't know why you'd risk rebooting that. Anyway. So SAG AFTRA remains on strike. Right. It's not like Hollywood's gonna get booted up again fully. Right. Mm-hmm. No, but I think you're right. Where where people will start to see movement is in the late night shows first. Um, even if the actor strike ended today, it would take a while before we saw some of our favorite shows back on air. Yeah, I think that the idea was, from what I remember correctly, was that if if the networks wanted to have anything to show for themselves with regards to the 2023 2024 television slate, they would have had to. Um, square away the strikes by the end of this month. So it sounds like they took that really seriously. And I feel like maybe we'll see like, um, you know, like uh, shortened seasons of some shows coming in 2024. Like that makes sense to me. Yeah. So it would kind of be like skipping fall previews, going through like the mid season break and then just getting like back half it's gonna of be a, of a season so interesting to see the effect that this strike had on our like favorite shows like with uh mm-hmm. stranger things in in particular like those kids are growing up so fast <laughs> and this and the actor yeah. strike is still happening and you're like okay well these kids are about to be in college by the time the show's <laughs> like finishes yeah they're gonna have like five o'clock shadows <laughs> <laughs> yeah and real quick, should just mention, and thank you to Chelsea who's listening live for mentioning this, that Greg Daniels was, getting back to The Office real quick, Greg Daniels was the original showrunner on The Office US. So it is good news that he is involved. So at least there's that. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about pop culture courses. And we're also going to have a little book club around Fourth Wing. It'll be spoiler free, but we're looking forward to talking about that today because it is a big deal. But before we get to those things, want to let everybody know the 2023 Millennial Listener Survey is here. The survey is open to all listeners through October 6th. So please fill it out as soon as you can. We'll have a link in the show notes. We want to know what you love about the show, what you think we could improve, 
what other content you'd be interested in us making. We are interested in expanding. Um, we're also asking anyone who supports us on our Patreon about their experience so we can learn what kinds of bonus content everybody would be interested in seeing in the future. The survey is open to all, whether or not you are a Patreon supporter. And it's, like I said, available through show notes, social media, uh, and through our website as well. So thank you so much for taking a few moments to fill this out. We really rely on this because it's just really helpful to know what you like and you don't like and what you what you want to see more or less of. So please help us get out of our own heads and thought spirals and just tell us the answers so we can find a path forward. Can you tell I was in Have therapy you tried asking this morning? ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> hey ChatGPT, how to millennial podcast, please. <laughs> All right, so we will move forward in a moment. First, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So the Daily Beast put out this article about the rise in popularity of universities creating courses centered around pop stars. And I was so excited to see somebody covering this because this is definitely a trend that I've noticed in recent years. And I'm sure you all have, too. Just as, uh, as like a little quick aside, um, whenever you see these headlines that pop up like so-and-so university offering course on Taylor Swift, Beyonce, fill in the blank here, like what's your initial reaction to those? A little clickbaity. Mm. <laughs> I am excited about it because I feel like uh-huh. just the idea of studying these people that are making such a big impact in like society, I feel like is really, really cool. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, especially too, like even just a couple weeks ago, I saw Taylor Swift had encouraged people to register to vote, which I initially missed when it happened. But um, yeah, the the impact is important and, and should be studied. I just sometimes... I look at it as clickbaity just from the angle of, well, they know people are going to be sharing the story because they want to take the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's definitely me. I'm guilty of that. I always want to take it, it makes me jealous because there was nothing like this when I was going to school. Yeah. I would have loved to have taken a class on Harry Styles, Taylor Swift. Oh my god, like, yes. Probably any <laughs> just but current... those just 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 those no, 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 no. But like if it had been like any kind of like current pop star, I, uh, sign me up. I would have been interested because I, I do think that there's value in that. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think you're right, Andrew, to some point there's something to be said about the speed at which these courses are now being offered. I think for a while headlines like this kind of felt like a one-off, like an anomaly. And now it kind of feels like we're getting one or two headlines about courses like this popping up every year, every semester, what have you. Um, But do you all think that it's smart programming with regards to getting kids interested in critical thinking overall? Because I have to imagine that these classes are probably not as easy as some people think they are. No, that is an interesting question because I I think it's it it is fun, it is exciting to take one of these courses, but then once you have like homework centered around it, it might actually become more stressful than you're expecting. It's sort of like when you hear about people who work at Disneyland or or they want to work at Disneyland. Oh my god, working at Disneyland, that's so that sounds so exciting. And then they get in there and then they realize it's just like any other job pretty much except you do see Mickey and Minnie daily. They're not expecting it to turn into work and it's going to. Yeah. I mean, like like in the article, they're they were explaining about how some people are signing up 
because they thought, oh, it'd just be like a super easy class. But I really like the the quote from Dr. Uh, Nathan Rodriguez, where he's like, I'm not teaching Selena. I'm not teaching Bad Bunny. I'm teaching through them. And so it's like the stars are what get you to like sign up for the class. But then like what's in the classes are actually teaching through the lenses of these people that are actually making all these changes and having these impacts, which I think is really powerful. And I think like, a lot of people might sign up for those classes and then be surprised at how much like work there might be. But I think teaching through celebrities helps people kind of like get through topics that they might have otherwise found boring. Yeah. I think we kind of see MuggleCasts that way too, especially now as adults, because we're interpreting these stories differently than we did as kids. And we're actually getting life lessons out of Harry Potter and we're able to analyze the text and say, hey, this is actually about, you know, how you handle a relationship with a parent or with a friend, or this is why doing this type of thing in the real world doesn't work or does work. Um, So we're using Harry Potter similarly um, to just like to figure out friendships and and life. I think that's been one exciting part of, of doing MuggleCast still today. Actually, I have a question in relation to that might be a little bit controversial. I think that the three of us are in a unique position because we kind of have worked in in trying to um, do pop culture analysis that goes beyond just like straight news reporting, right? Um, and so I wonder with something like like MuggleCast, if like if, if there's ever points where it stops um, being like a fun hobby and it starts feeling like work, because I think that 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 is something that's like very real. And I could see kids taking a class on somebody that they're a fan of, and then like you know, getting a couple of weeks in and, and being like, well, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be because right. I love this person. But now like this person has become work. Yeah. Because when you're consuming pop culture, you do it when you want to, you use it as an yeah. escape from other things. You know, it's fun. It's exciting. But then when you have certain like commitments and deadlines to hit, when it comes to these things that you love, that's when it becomes less fun. And like, I would never say, like, I mean, I, I don't take MuggleCast for granted. Like, I'm so grateful that we have this and we have this audience. But it is still work at the end of the day because you do have to show up and you do have to prepare in advance and you have to present and be on. Like, there's a lot of work that that comes with it. So, yeah. And I mean, similarly with Hypable, I think both of you probably feel this too. Mm-hmm. There's like TV recaps you have to do. And when you you can't just watch a show for fun, you still do that. But you also have to have something to say about it. Mm-hmm. You have to analyze it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, Comic Con, like, it's fun. But oh my God, you were running from room to room, from hotel to convention center. And that, like, you never just get to enjoy it. You have to, like, work at it. Yeah, exactly. So, with all of this in mind, do we think that there's a space for pop culture in the classroom as it stands, like, right now? Obviously, pop culture is so broad that it can, you know, span across decades. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, is there a space for current pop culture in the classroom? I think there has to be because pop culture and media like define generations. And so it would like, it would be like really dumb, I think, for us to only take a look at the pop culture of the past and analyze like, how did that affect history or how did that like affect what we're like um, our society? And like, because if you look at it now, you have a better understanding of like what is actually currently happening, just like with current events. I mean, like Taylor Swift, for example, right? Like 
Like she had a massive impact on the economy in every freaking city that she went through. And then she also <laughs> helped donate thousands of dollars to homeless shelters in every single city that she was in, which also had a massive impact. So like, you don't really, if you're not talking about that and you don't know about that, you don't have a true understanding of what's going on. Yeah. And I think you can also expand that to just like how these fandoms improve your life in various ways. Like, yeah, they're improving um, through making various donations, but you become a better person through the friends that you meet and the lessons that you learn through the music, through the books, through the movies. Since that all affects your life, you should be learning through all of that. It's okay to learn through pop culture. Yeah. And and I don't know if it's totally related, but pop it's like pop culture is cool now. Like this nerdy stuff is yeah. cool these days. Conventions are definitely cool. Yeah. Yes. Who would have thought? <laughs> Stressful, expensive, but cool. I wanted to ask you all if you have any thoughts about why teachers traditionally have been afraid of using contemporary materials in the classroom. Because I don't know about you all, but, you know, obviously we were growing up when Harry Potter was coming out. And I definitely had some teachers that were like, that's not like an appropriate book for your book report. Or like, you can read that on your own, but I'm not counting that as like, you're reading like on your reading log, for example. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. well, and similarly, Pam, when I, so my fourth grade teacher read us Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in class. And then fifth grade comes along. And I guess by that time, I was trying to read book two or book three. And it must have been book two. And the fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Dagnan, tried to stop me and others from reading Harry Potter. And my mom called her and said, why? You're stopping a child from reading. What's wrong with you? She didn't say that part, but I, <laughs> I think that was the implication. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? Kids want to read now. That's one of the things that Harry Potter has been credited with, like giving kids an interest in reading. In terms of in the classroom, teachers, if they don't know a Taylor Swift, a Harry Potter, a Harry Styles. I guess they haven't themselves thought too critically about it. So they think, why would I center lessons around this? Mm. Because there's nothing here. It's not as deep as everybody says it is. It's just vapid entertainment for people to enjoy. Well, it's like about media literacy, right? Like you have to like, there's so Mm. much media now at this point where you just got to like have an understanding of what's out there. Because if you don't, you're just going to be like have the wool pulled over your eyes and be very manipulated, very easily manipulated. Yeah. It's interesting you say that too, because, you know, I don't participate in a lot of online fandom spaces anymore, but I'm still very much in tune with online fandom spaces and the conversations that are happening in those spheres. And it's so interesting to see like what people will, will learn about when they're motivated by it. And this is the last few years is like the first time ever that I've, I've seen people say, well, like, no, like, we can't trust every headline because, like, this is how public relations works. (laughs) And I think that that is so fascinating because that's not a conversation you would have heard just like, you know, like fans having online. Like, let me tell you how public relations works. Like, Mm -hmm. let me tell you why this show got canceled on Netflix from like an inside baseball perspective, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so, like, to that point, you're right. I think that like 
if you're um, already like interested in a, in a person, in a band, in a in a book uh, series, in a movie franchise, chances are you will want to read everything with regards to what comes out about that, and uh, it can you know lead to you learning about some other skills that maybe mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had in your arsenal before that. So I think fans know how to call out bullshit when they see it. <laughs> a lot of times, yes. Some of them are drinking the Kool-Aid, but some of them well, are true. very reasonable. <laughs> well, and Tark mentions media literacy. That This is jumping ahead a little bit, but that's one of my favorite classes I've actually taken in college because mm. I was going for radio, TV, film. So there was a media literacy course And that was just so helpful in terms of really looking at headlines and articles and comparing how different sources would frame the same news story. And I I may have said on this show, I think this came up a few months ago, like that should be a required class in school, especially these days, sorting through social media and news outlets and who to trust and Mm -hmm. why you look at multiple sources and all that. It is so helpful in deciphering. And then it, it really awakens you in terms of like it teaches you to be very cautious when you're going through like your social media feed because there's so much manipulation going on just to get you to click into an article mm-hmm. yeah i mean working at hypable really taught me like a lot about like making sure that anything i see i always check the source i always had to make sure and validate that the source that the news was coming from was legit because yeah. and, and people i've helped so many friends on like Facebook, for example, who would post a link and be like, oh my God, look at this movie coming out and be like, babe, that's that's not a real site. No, that's, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes there's this like fake movie poster or TV show poster and people are sharing it thinking it's real, mm-hmm. but it's like, look at who posted this. <laughs> it's like some meme account or something, but people don't pay attention. I did appreciate that. Um, I'm trying to remember what social media site has done this. Maybe Twitter post or pre-Elon, or maybe it was Facebook or Instagram. But it would, if you tried to share an article, it would first warn you, hey, why don't you read the article yes, first that was before Twitter. sharing yeah, it? Twitter. <laughs> that was Twitter. Okay. That was a really smart addition, and they should be forcing that type of thing more often. Not to give Elon's uh, Twitter credit, but I do like that they have um, added context boxes now on certain stories. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, that I think is is a good step in the right direction because it's it's so often that small things get taken out of context in the grand scheme of, scheme of a larger story. So we definitely yeah. need more of that. So to kind of wind down on this discussion, I wanted to know if there were any cool or unique classes that you all took when you were in school or were there like any classes offer that you like really wanted to take but could never get into? Um, when we were talking about this discussion, I was telling Andrew that San Francisco State, which is where I went to school, they had a class on the music of Bob Dylan. And it, it was only like, it was only ever offered like one period every semester. And it was like almost impossible to get into. So I never took it. But I always thought that like, that would be cool. And it was probably like, the closest thing that they offered to like, what we're seeing offered now in terms of you know, chart toppers mm-hmm. that are did making you try headlines. to get in or did you not even try? I did try to get in. It was always a wait list. One time I went to see if I could get off the wait list and added to the class. But the professor was like, honestly, like 
if you're further than like five on the wait list, I'm not going to have space for you, but you could try. <laughs> and then I felt a little bit better about not getting in because I was looking at the book list when I was shopping for my own books. And like one of the books that this professor wanted students to buy was like $500. Oh, wow. oh my God. And you had to buy it new. And I was like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> I don't have this kind of money. Yeah. Like, it should be way more accessible than that. Yeah, yeah That's definitely. Ridiculous. So I never, as far as I can remember, I never saw any classes came up, courses come up that were focused on like a particular name or artist or anything. But if there was something that interests me, I think I would have given it a try just to see if I could get in. Um but that said, I mentioned media literacy. Like I'm talking about, so that that was a very helpful class. Speaking of helpful, and this was such an engaging engaging class class. But <laughs> inter, interpersonal communication I took in community college, um, Fullerton College, and I just absolutely loved my teacher. He said, "Just call me Jack," and he would share the best stories about his own life experiences and how they tie into what he was trying to teach in terms of how to balance friendships and relationships and playing into people's interests. So um, that was a really, 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 really good one for me as well. And then speaking of Bob Dylan, there was a history of rock and roll class. Oh, that I, I actually loved that. Did, oh, I actually did take that. Oh, you did? Did you love it? I did love it. Yeah, it was right up my alley. I did used to cheat, though. There, We had listening tests. Uh, and of course, this was after the iPhone came out and Shazam came out. <laughs> so I would Shazam the song under my desk. Oh, oh my genius. God. I love that. Uh, look, I mean, that's one of those things like, why am I going to take a test on basic math if I can just have a calculator? It's the same exact thing. And that is why I dropped out. So I don't have an answer to this question. <laughs> ah, yes. When did you drop out, Tarek? Oh, God. So expensive. I didn't want to waste time learning algebra when I knew that I wasn't going to freaking use algebra. <laughs> Are you joking? Like an associate's degree requiring all these like prerequisites? No, thank you. Yeah. But like how far did you get into college or? I got like I went like a year and a half into community college. Um, OK. And then I took like a year off in which I binged vampire diaries and started getting it to television so <laughs> okay okay i for i forgot this about you that you dropped out because i dropped out as well do you still feel like there's i'm taking over pam's discussion now do you feel <laughs> like good. do you still feel a little like i have felt insecure about it at times mm. but i've moved past that at this point have you ever felt like insecure about that decision I think at first i think within the first few years i definitely felt like insecure about like gosh like i don't have a degree no one's going to like take me seriously. And then, and then I realized that like, like with the years of experience that I've had, like I have like almost every single job that you see posted now is like bachelor's is bachelor's degree or equivalent like experience. Right. And so in addition to that, all of my friends that got degrees, almost all of them, not like all of them, obviously, but most of them don't even use their degrees. Like these jobs don't care what your degree is in. They just care that you have one, which is bullshit. It, it goes to say that your degree doesn't really, really matter unless you're going for a very specific job in which your degree is like necessary. Like Pam, I think you have you have a degree in journalism, don't you? Yeah, in journalism. And then I um, I did um, international relations. Yeah, which, like, like you political science goes with that too. But are going to have so much more of like a step up over me, like over a job application, because they'll see that you've had that like learning experience and it just looks better. 
but it's, I know. Sorry. Oh no, go, go on. Finish your thought, and then I'll say something about about that too. That's going to make you feel better. I promise. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I just know that it's all about looks. It's it seems like it's all about looks, whether or not you have a college degree, and it makes you feel bad for a minute until you realize that you don't need that degree to be able to be good at the job you want to do. So the only thing I'll say about that, and obviously I understand that this is dependent on what industry you're trying to get work in, but the three of us work in media. So this is relevant to you too, for sure. I think that when I had very little on my resume, the education was helpful because it showed that I had a background in understanding how to technically do something. But at this point, if I apply for a job, they hardly look at my education, which is actually more helpful. Like all they're looking at really is the experience and the outlets that I've worked with in the past where my bylines are. A lot of the larger outlets in terms of news media, they really only care about your education if you're going to a fancier school. San Francisco State was not a fancy school on paper, even though I feel like I got a really good education through them. I feel like, you know, my education was on par with like Northwestern was really big at one of the larger outlets I was going to. Like every other intern was from Northwestern, except for me. It's like I slipped through the cracks and scared them all. But yeah, at this point, like my experience comes way before my education. It doesn't matter. But you have to figure out how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. Like this, the media business is so hard. It's so hard to get your foot in the door, even if you have that education. So for both of you to figure out how to like give yourselves that experience is really impressive because now that, you know, we're in our 30s, like that speaks way louder than the fact yeah. that you guys dropped out of school. And you too. I mean, you've built your own experience too, mm-hmm. Pam, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always like uh, wowed by your like resume Aww. and your like your work, Pam. So oh, thank you. I think it's incredible. I'm blushing. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> Shane is listening live said, I have two degrees and make less than pretty much everyone I know, melting emoji face. Oh, no. And then Meg Q said, My current job asked for a master's degree and I stopped after one year of undergrad. So, um, but Meg got it anyway. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's got their own way of making it happen. If you put in the work, it doesn't matter where that work is put in, whether it's college or in the field. Like, as long as you do the work, that's what matters. And you can mm-hmm. show that you know your shit. I do definitely agree. I mean, the experience angle is huge. Like, Pam, we've talked about we talk about this from time to time. Like you having, for example, Twilight Source on your resume stands out because it's huge. so unique. It's like, what? That was the it's only just, thing people wanted to talk about. Like when, you know, I hardly had anything on there. They just wanted to know more about that. <laughs> but I think also that that, you know, plays into your point, Tarek, about like, like having a journalism degree stands out, but so does something else unique, mm-hmm. uh, s- kind of on a similar level, just in different ways. Yeah. I mean, when I got my internship at Apple Music, uh, like they it's a retail internship right so they just hi- like they hire a bunch of random people throughout the apple stores to like go work in corporate and i had my interview with this guy he was like the editor of apple music and then as soon as i said i had bylines at like san francisco chronicle um or like other places he was like oh wait 
you actually have work? Okay, yes, we're going to have... Because <laughs> 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 like, it's one like, less thing they have to teach you and they know you yeah. have a voice. That That's like the biggest thing about writing is like, do you have a voice, but can you match our tone? And it's two different things. And if you get that, you're already way, way ahead of everybody else that starts off at the ground mm. floor with you. Yeah, I and hopefully this inspires people because I think what really excites me about the internet and where we are today with the internet is you really can make shit happen online for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's luck involved, but there's a there's you'll need drive, you need dedication. There's a lot of factors, but the internet makes so many things possible where it didn't you know, we didn't have these opportunities like 5 to 10 years ago. I even think about the like Uber I've been an Uber driver in the past. I actually loved it because you're meeting new people all the time. No two nights for the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, did, I don't have any horror stories. So that 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 that's why I am so positive about it. I think nobody ever threw up in my car. Um, but like without the Internet, without smartphones, that just never I never would have had that opportunity. There's opportunities to make money online. Mm-hmm. You just got to really be driven and just go for it so worst case scenario just sell pictures of your feet you'll make bank like you'll make (laughs) (laughs) we actually learned from one of our listeners that that is harder than it looks too (laughs) it is harder than it looks but she makes money from it we did have her on the show talking about her only fans a few months ago yeah well speaking of podcast episodes uh andrew you did want to talk about a mugglecast episode that happened recently in relation to this topic right yeah since it's so tied in i just wanted to mention that um uh, our social media manager, Chloe, discovered Dr. Julian Wamble um, a few months ago. He teaches a Harry Potter course, Harry Potter and the Politics of Social Identity. He's teaching this course at George Washington University. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science there. It's very popular, it seems. We were talking about demand and getting into these courses. And um, he was telling us on MuggleCast, episode 619, just this past July, um, that it, it is difficult for people to get into the class. Um, but he posts actual clips from the course, his teaching, his lessons on TikTok. And it blows my mind watching these lessons because it's just so surreal to me to see a professor teaching Harry Potter at a college. Like, it's just mind blowing. It, it's like something you, you wouldn't necessarily expect to see. So he is on um, TikTok. His username is P-R-O-F-W. We can include a link in the show notes. But just to give people a sample really quick, the title is Thought Experiment. Would people forgive Hermione if she left the way that Ron did on the Horcrux hunt in Deathly Hallows? Oh, my God. (laughs) If the tables were turned and Hermione had left, would people forgive her the way that they forgave Ron? People would be up in arms. They would have been like, she abandoned them. She knows that they need her. She knows she's the best at magic. She does not get to look out for herself at all. She has to be the person who is constantly cleaning up the messes of these two mediocre dudes. They, they are just young. Excuse never counts for her. Yet she gets zero credit. But then Ron disappeared, comes back, and then you're like, all is well. And also, like, Hermione, stop being so mean to him. Y'all, the number of times that she's been on the receiving end of like the angst and madness of these two boys, but is expected to stay. Cause like, 
they can't survive without her, thus it is her responsibility to make sure that they survive. And here's the issue with like, here's the issue with sexism. It creates a level of expectation. And so she has to put up with like all of their antics and all of their BS and all of their stuff while simultaneously trying to deal with the fact that her parents are in Australia and don't know who she is. Um, she is part of the wanted class in this particular genocide. She's also traveling with one of the most wanted people in the wizarding world. And she's expected to kind of overcome all of that for the sake of these two. Can you imagine the anxiety? We've been conditioned to see her as this like outrageously exceptional, magical person. When she messes up, it feels so much more cataclysmic, which is why, again, I think she would be absolutely ridiculed if she were the one to have left. If I were Hermione, I would have left. I would have dipped out. I'm going to Australia. Don't come looking for me. I'll find you if I need you, because I can. Because I'm that good. <laughs> so you know he's obviously a great teacher as well very thought-provoking and a deep thinker um so it was great having him on chloe actually met him irl a few weeks ago and uh i would have dipped too i mean he's right yeah yeah exactly yeah so um just that that's kind of a sample of what you can get from one of these pop culture courses and of course when he's teaching there you can kind of see how these lessons can apply to your own life Again, he's uh, at P-R-O-F-W on TikTok. All right. Well, we will take a quick break and then we're going to have a little book club coming up. We'll be right back. So as Andrew teased at the top of the show, we thought that it would be fun to do a little book club as the back half of this back half of this episode, especially because so many of you all we're really excited when Andrew and I said that we had been reading Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. It's been nearly impossible to escape the buzz that's been surrounding this book. And so to kick things off, and also as a bit of an aside, don't worry if you haven't read it yet, because we're going to keep the discussion fairly spoiler free for anybody that hasn't picked it up. But was it the buzz that initially compelled all of us to pick it up? Because it, it definitely was for me like, after I see that, you know, a title is like so in demand that they sold out and nobody could get their hands on a copy because, you know, the publisher didn't anticipate how many people would want to read it. And then you see all your friends reading it online. It's like, yeah, I need to read that, too. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it sold out. Mm-hmm. People are crediting uh, Book Talk, right? With the explosion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where I found it. OK, I only picked it up about a month and a half ago now. I had seen it in a bookstore again. I had seen it multiple times and of course heavily featured and I was hearing some good things. I'm a sucker for like a good cover too. I think the cover is gorgeous. Um, And I was back home with my family. And so I had a little bit of vacation time. And I was like, and we were about to go to the beach. So I was like, you know what? I'll make this a beach read. Let's do it. So yeah, it was definitely all of the hype around it. I usually wait for a book or a TV show to get so much attention like there's a certain personal threshold that once something hits when it does then i'm like all right i'll finally check it out because people can't stop talking about it and i want to be part of the water cooler talk FOMO. yeah for real <laughs> when did you read it oh god uh probably about like six months ago at this point i think um and it was again t- uh tiktok videos people kept saying it was like one of the best fantasy books i've ever read and i'm like okay well like i need to 
I need to see how real this is. <laughs> <laughs> so for you two, I think here's the big question. Has it lived up to the hype? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question mm. because yeah. you're right. Like you can pick something up because of the buzz, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to agree with everybody talking about it, hyping it up. Um, for me, I was definitely hooked right away. I think the way that this book is written and sort of like catapults you into the story makes it a really easy read, which is not always the case with something. I would consider consider this to be high fantasy because you're getting dropped into a world that's way different from anything we know um, of our real world. And that has always, to me, been a little bit inaccessible because the world building is really hard for me to, to kind of sift through before I get into the actual meat of the story. But I think that... Um, this book is super accessible and it's really fast paced. And also it kind of has like the touchstones of uh, like a dystopian novel as well. And I think like for our age group specifically, because we already lived through one massive dystopian book explosion, mm -hmm. it, it also feels really accessible and easy to kind of get sucked into the story. I think it halfway lived up to the hype. Um, I think okay. I think the the storytelling, the the like the world building and the pacing immaculate. The characters are so good. Um, I just I didn't find it to be as unique as everyone else was saying it was. That was my I thing. Agree. So like okay. so like it wasn't like maybe the best fantasy book I've ever read, but it's up there. It's like it's it is definitely up there because it does suck you in and i'm like wow this is so good but there's just points where i'm like oh i know where this is going so this is not as like mm. great you know one problem with following along with the hype train hopping on the hype train if you will is that people set your expectations so high that then you start reading it and you expect to be just like your mind literally blown away and then it's not because the bar was set so high so i always fear that um like even looking at it on amazon right now it's average 82,000 reviews it's averaging 4.8 out of 5 stars wow. you don't see that on amazon like it's it's basically showing me 5 full stars in that little review area and um that's amazing and that further raises the bar for you you expect like oh my god everybody is just orgasming over this uh by the way pam did warn me it's going to get a little horny after um, <laughs> oh have you not gotten to the horny bits yet i just hit that part this weekend I, and it was it was more than i expected i was like oh my goodness yeah. can't recommend this to my mom now <laughs> i know so I, andrew texted me when he's like i just got to the horny bit and i when i recommended it on the show i had not gotten there i didn't know it was like a horny book <laughs> so then I was like, well, fuck, I already recommended this on the podcast and I, I sold it as like adventure dragons <laughs> killing. Right. I hope there's not a ton of that going forward. Right. I, that's hard to tell because now that like the floodgates have been open, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Floodgates. The floodgates. Yeah. I walked into that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I just. I. I don't want it to be that. But whatever. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I hit the second horny moment uh, last night. So, um, I wonder how many there's are in the like less than how many more there will be I in like it's eighty just pages. The two big ones. Yeah. Okay. It's so. really. Okay. I mean, it like, did seem like things were. Yeah. Unfortunately, I. I do think that like not to give too much away, but I. I feel like 
this is a a really good example of how like the author has figured out how to like bring the horniness into the plot in a way that like makes sense for the story because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like okay. a reason why it's it's happening right or like yeah. why she needs it to happen but it's a very useful device so yeah what also excites me about this series setting the the horny stuff aside is that we're only on book one. Book two comes out November 7th. It's called Iron Flame. And I love that it's already so popular with four more books to go. So I'm going to be very ex- That's why I, I want to jump into this fandom and be a part of it because there's still so much potential here. And this is very far down the road, but potentially, but maybe there will be a movie or TV series built around this. I could book see series. that. Like it, oh, the yeah. book reads so visually and i i was thinking about that right away i was like if somebody doesn't make um or doesn't get the rights to this like they'd be so dumb yeah i have to I'm imagine surprised we haven't heard anything i yet. know i know <laughs> i have to imagine that like we'll be hearing about that soon but it's probably because of the writer's strike yeah it may be maybe but to answer the question like that you two have been answering about what keeps us hooked about it i do think it is pretty fast-paced and Pam, you mentioned high fantasy. Somebody, before I started reading it, described it to me as fantasy lights. And I actually like hmm. that, not as a criticism, because Game of Thrones, admittedly, I haven't even tried to read it, but it just knowing the the TV show and seeing the size of those books, they look too heavy to me, figuratively speaking, not just literally. Um, this has been very accessible fantasy, I think, for people. And that's what I really like about Harry Potter as well. It is, it's very accessible fantasy. It doesn't overburden you with world building. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and everything that like is, um, like world building, the, the, there's enough context clues there that you don't, the author doesn't really need to spend like full chapters explaining why you need to know this. Mm-hmm. You can just kind yeah. of like pick up on like what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I, like, I, I think this book is going to be like a massive cash cow for whatever studio decides to develop this into a, a series because it's so easy to adapt. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to understand the whole world. Like, I mean, I really like the description of fantasy light because it's like, yeah, you don't really need to understand everything. And, all of these like character power dynamics or family dynamics, like you don't have to have the whole history. So did it end well for you two? Like I said, I have another like 80 pages to go. Well, you're in for quite a, a ride. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. There, I mean, um, Shane in the discord is saying, although I expected the cliffhanger, there's a huge cliffhanger. And I think that that's why people are so excited to get their hands on the sequel. I'm curious to see how it pans out because I I think that the way that it ends is really effective and keeping you wanting more. I expected half the cliffhanger. There's like one half the cliffhanger. There's like, I saw coming from the very beginning of the book. I was like, Oh, okay. And then there's second cliffhanger. I was like, huh? Okay. Okay. You got me. Cool. But I'm excited to know that you two are going to be reading this at, some point when it comes out in november because then we can discuss it further you know if there's a midnight like release party i will i will go okay so go i'm so glad you brought this up because barnes and noble is already planning midnight releases for iron flame and midnight releases especially for books huge part of our experience growing up as fans of 
you know, huge book series, right? So I wanted to ask you both if you feel like, you know, is Iron Flame, is that marking the return of the midnight release? Because we haven't really seen too many of those in a while. Yeah. No. So on the, there's like an Iron Flame website and you can find a, a full list of midnight release parties. And <laughs> there's none in Vegas yet, weirdly, oh. even though there is one in Reno, Nevada. So I, I maybe this list is just, you know, still developing. But um, so I, if they do have a midnight release here, I might go just because I want to see how many people show up. Mm-hmm. Although midnight these days is a little tough for me to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> till i mean like november 7th that's a that's the middle of the week you know so it's, it's like, not a it's not a friday no oh she did not plan am that i looking well. at the right date don't books always the... don't they always come out on like tuesdays or something okay yes yes traditionally they do but okay this is bad on the publisher because they should have anticipated and they should have put it out on a friday like after a while, Harry Potter was coming out on Friday nights, right? Yeah, yeah. Make it a midnight release. Well, they'll Where's have three more books. Website that you're. Oh, Iron Frame release events on her. Okay, I have the middle of the week off, so it's like I got like Monday Tuesdays off. So you know, I might. Uh, okay, it depends on how tired I am after we record. That's a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Would be would it be Monday? Would it be like yes, midnight it would. on Monday? Yeah, going right? into Tuesday. Oh, then I can't because then I'll be too tired to record Millennial. <laughs> after <laughs> we're just like off that week, and people will know why because we're all reading this book. <laughs> I did pre-order it uh, because from bookshop.org, so I was good about that. But if you pre-order, you receive a stunning limited edition first print run, I think from anywhere, oh. any any outlet, including Amazon, featuring spray-painted edges with gorgeously detailed map endpapers. Ooh. This breathtaking first edition is only available for a limited time and while supplies last. So I don't know if that'll be a part of the uh, midnight releases. Maybe. I would assume but so. Maybe not. I mean, this is like, get in on the hype now. Go pre-order your first edition and, <laughs> you know. Maybe it'll be worth like, a lot of money yeah. someday. <laughs> uh, but I can't say that about all things because I still have like uh, casual vacancies signed and sitting on my shelf just rotting away. Not- <laughs> <laughs> rotting away. Rotting away. You got that signed. I, I didn't, I don't think I have one of those. Oh, yeah. It was a hypeable like meetup in new york like we all oh, right. the that was where i gave her the letter that we worked on oh yeah oh, before wow. she broke all our tiny little hearts <laughs> <laughs> i also look back on some other midnight release parties in recent years there was veronica roth's allegiant that was 10 years ago at mm. this point what a letdown di- version series i know i i heard the big spoiler and i didn't even finish it i didn't either I didn't, that's I what happened to me too <laughs> That one really <laughs> fell apart. I mean, yeah. the movie series, they never finished either. How embarrassing. It's always embarrassing when they have a, <laughs> a film series and they're like, mm, no, never mind. Let's stop. People were so burnt out on dystopian books by that series. by that time. Splitting. And movies. And the splitting. splitting. Everyone was splitting. Yeah. They did oh do part God. one, just that they never did part two. <sighs> <sighs> they should have just done up both. Um, Cursed Child in 2016. I didn't go to one of these, but there actually were midnight release parties. I for did that go, book. but I the the vibe just wasn't the same. It didn't feel, <laughs> you know. Yay, I, I was like looking, <laughs> I was looking for like the magic of you know the midnight release parties that we grew up going to, and it just was like whatever. My favorite Cursed Child memory is sitting next to Selena when we were watching the previews in London, and when it, it like 
when it was revealed that it was like Voldemort's daughter or whatever, she cracked up. She cracked up. And the people so in front of us turned. No one else laughed. It was just silence. And the people in front of us turned to look at her. She's like, sorry. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. That is too funny. Oh You're ruining the moment, Selena. Stop it. None of the other people wow. in the audience have ever read fan fiction because if they had... <laughs> they would have been they would, they would have, have been, been like really yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course uh yeah that was that was uh when the whole worm tailly thing went down as well uh, with bless. jk rowling I love being called worm tailly <laughs> <laughs> um and then finally john green's turtles all the way down actually had min- midnight release parties in 2017 which really? was his most recent book interesting I think. okay yeah I, I didn't know that either but i was doing some googling and some booksellers were planning those i mean that makes sense john green is huge of course so it didn't shock me i just i guess i didn't realize it at the time yeah um but i attended midnight release parties for harry potter four through seven breaking dawn and maybe mocking jay i can't remember if i actually went to one of those yeah i think i i must have gone to breaking dawn i i went to um not a midnight release but Eclipse, um, Stephanie Meyer had her book tour and I did go to that to get my copy of Eclipse signed. And that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been to Breaking Dawn. Um, I went to Breaking Dawn. I mean, like almost not all of the Harry Potter ones, but most of them. And like, I don't know, there's just something so incredibly fun about being surrounded by a group of fans that just love this thing so much that you just can't wait to get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it also potentially is a good way to meet new people locally. Like we talk Mm -hmm. about that from time to time. How the heck do you meet people as you get older? It gets increasingly hard. And if you can go to, I mean, I think a lot of people uh, around our age are probably reading Iron Flame uh, because of some of this more adult content. So um, I, it would be interesting to see what the demographic is like for this series, but I bet it's around our age. Definitely millennials. Well, to that point, Andrew, I know you're always saying you're looking for the next Harry Potter. I mean, do you feel like this is it or are you, is it too soon to call? I, too soon to call is okay. my assessment. Ask me, ask me after these midnight release parties. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to, I'm afraid to make predictions because there really just hasn't been something like, like hunger games i would say was the last like big Mm -hmm. fandom like what can you put together a fan site for and a podcast for in 2023 a book series like i don't know i i I know you're gonna plug a series to us pam but i was thinking about that one we'll get into it but a court of thorns and roses like that started in 2015 is that is (laughs) i okay so here's ago here's the thing i feel like the uh, I I wrote this down in the doc as a court of thorns and roses slash Sarah J Moss because I think that her fan base is in the buzz around her books is kind of like on par but probably not as like um, wide of a reach as what Rebecca Yarrow's managed to do with um, Fourth Wing because obviously Fourth Wing has amassed like general public attention too. But, mm-hmm. you know, what you have to remember with Sarah J. Moss as well is that um, A Court of Thorns and Roses and I believe Throne of Glass, which is her other series, they were both optioned for television shows. And I believe that those options have kind of fallen flat. If I remember correctly, I think one might still be in production, but maybe not. That happens a lot when like 
studios can't commit to uh, pushing something into uh, production right away. And then like the rights kind of lapse and then it kind of goes back to um, square one and maybe another studio picks it up, maybe not. But I would say that if you're looking for another fantasy series to sink your teeth into that has a lot of um, that has like a larger community surrounding it online. Like you would probably looking to something that Sarah J Moss has written. Yeah. I mean, those books are really popular, mm-hmm. like insanely popular. Yeah. So it makes sense. Also fantasy po- fairies. There's also <laughs> spicy stuff in there. And oh, I think people that, love like, the spicy yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, spicy book talk is huge right now. I think like, um, it, it's interesting because before um, before you had book talk, there was booktube, and I think you're kind of seeing like the renaissance of what like booktube started on book talk. It's just that like more people are on TikTok, so more people are getting these recommendations served to them as a result of their algorithm, and and that's kind of like reignited people's interest in reading and getting in on reading um, either standalones or series that are getting recommended over and over and over again. You see that a lot too with like romance authors. There's been like a huge romance renaissance as like a byproduct of book talk too. So it's really interesting to kind of watch the trends over there. I think it's really, really fascinating to see how sex is being like incorporated more and more into not just like romance novels, but like into these fantasy novels and into these like mainstream books um in a way that's like just like really rich and like really fun and people are just like yes like give like people are becoming way less prudish with the books that they read and be like yeah. no like i am i am down to have a moment where i'm reading the sexy scene in this like high fantasy novel like yeah. give it to me like it's great <laughs> it is kind of cool that it's like not your mother's romance novel you know it's like not like you have like fabio on the cover of these books right <laughs> They just like yeah. look really cool. Like you could walk around with fourth wing and no one's going to be like, oh yeah, that's the book with dragons and sex. Yeah. You know, they're just going to be like, <laughs> yeah. that looks like a cool book. It's not like riding the bus with like 50 shades of gray, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's way less of, <laughs> yeah. a, of a stigma involved. But then like the people that know, know, and then you can like teehee together, right? <laughs> together. I, I guess I just get hung up on like, where's the podcast? Maybe I'm just too old fashioned at this point, but like, but maybe that's, I guess it all happens on book talk. Like that's where the analysis happens. Yeah. But the because, thing is like, like I, I still think there's a space for extended analysis. It's just that like I less and less so. people are like doing it. And I think part of it is because people understand that like, it's hard to put together a show that where you're like, actually, um, you know, um, and analyzing something. It's way easier. For an like, hour. Yeah. Well, it's way easier <laughs> for people to turn on their camera and be like, this is what I thought of this thing. TikTok is like so unscripted a lot of the mm-hmm. times, right? Or if you have to script something, it's like you could script a minute. That's way easier than like sitting down and being like, how can I fill an hour's worth of airtime? Yeah. And people don't have the attention spans these days to like want to like sit and listen to like this hour long analysis of like this series. Whereas like, like I, I do personally, but on TikTok, it's so much easier to be like, bam, bam, bam. And get people yeah. interested yeah. in things. I think people like would, if you gave it them a good product. Pam, I'm just trying to encourage you to do this for Sarah J. Moss. Uh, Basically, no, that's what I'm I, seeing up here. But like, no, I would be so bad at this. Like, not for her book. <laughs> Why? 
<laughs> there is a podcast already called A Court of Fairies and Fangirls, a oh. Sarah J. Moss well, fan want podcast. Well, they to me on the show, you know, my schedule's always <laughs> open for guest appearances. 127 reviews, 4.8 average. I think, I think, uh... They've got it together. There you have it. You know, this is probably a good time also to plug our Patreon survey because we did ask people what they wanted to see. So, yeah. What do you want? Do you want Pam to launch a Taylor Swift or Sarah J. Moss podcast? That um, Andrew will There's have to also edit. those forking fangirls. <laughs> yeah, I'll That's edit true. for money. Um, those forking fangirls, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Christine Riccio and Natasha, Natasha Polis. N- Natasha Polis. Um, uh, we've had them on the show. It was a great time. They're two wonderful people. Um, but they analyze and talk about stuff. They just go from book to book. They're not like yeah. sticking with one. That I think that's what that's probably the answer. Or like Tark, you said, like people don't have the patience for the longer form stuff. Short form podcasts are okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do a, a 10 minute weekly podcast on fourth wing. That would be fun. I, I, I dream of these shorter podcasts. We get stuck with these 90 minute episodes of MuggleCast. I'm like, guys, can we do 15 minutes? See, like, this, I mean, that's that would be good. Listen to podcasts. That would be good short form, <laughs> like TikTok content. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you Three can make those like you can make forth. those 10 minute podcast episodes into TikTok videos mm-hmm. and just being like, yeah. and yeah. I mean, A like I, 10, like they say in I comedy love podcasts. I don't have the time. Yeah. I don't have this the time. Is, this is what, and I get stressed about doing other podcasts about other material because i'm just thinking like 60 to 90 minutes but if it is 10 15 i can do a good 10 to 15 with other people sure we've been barking up the wrong tree with these longer shows that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's what i think to myself it's so funny though because like you say that and then you know that there are people that are like we want we'll listen to three hours of you guys doing this yeah <laughs> it's like why and, and that's where the patreon comes in like yeah, right exactly. right <laughs> And MuggleCast, <laughs> it is easy to talk for 90 minutes mm-hmm. because we've been working for so long together. But I think, and a lot of people just don't have time to add another hour-long podcast into their weekly habits. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got their shows that they listen to, and they don't have time to fit something new in. So, all right, this is inspiring me for a fourth-wing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't I don't know if um this is the next Harry Potter. I hope so. I want another Harry Potter. One that's not reigned by a transformer. Yeah. That would be nice. All right. Well, on that note, before we get to recommendations, hey, we just mentioned our Patreon coming up in After Dark this week. We're going to do a WTF News edition. I'm calling it Butts and More edition. There's a lot of butts involved here. (laughs) It's a little gross, too. So sorry, Tarek, in advance for what we signed you up for. <laughs> um it's so it's we've got a lot of fun stories we've been sitting on and very excited to talk about those including the woman rescued from an outhouse toilet after climbing in to retrieve her apple watch um couple seated next to farting dog on flight received 1.4 1.4k refund um palm springs residents complain about proposed aids memorial anus statue <laughs> so this and more coming up in after dark today patreon.com slash millennial uh, we also publish After Dark through Apple Podcasts. Just tap into the show and you can subscribe to Mega Millennial, which is the main show, ad-free with After Dark attached at the end. There's many more benefits on our Patreon as well. So thanks, everybody, for supporting us. We really appreciate it. We really could not do this without you. Um, so time for some recommendations. What do you got for us, Pam? I, I have a book recommendation that is not related to the fantasy discussion at all. Um, if 
anybody listening is a fan of memoirs, I highly, highly, highly recommend Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Um, Michelle Zahner is also known as Japanese Breakfast. She makes music under that moniker. Really big fan of her music. So this was like an instant want to read from me. And I would also recommend the audiobook as well, which I don't usually do, but she reads it herself. This is just like, oh my gosh, this is such a beautiful uh, love letter to uh, her experience growing up as a Korean American and also losing her mother and her relationship with her mother and how she felt like losing her mother kind of uh, made her lose touch with uh, her Korean roots and how she wound up finding her way back to that and kind of forging her own identity in the process. Um, It is really heavy. So I would keep that in mind, make sure you're in the right headspace, but it it's incredible. And it's a pretty short read. It's like 200 pages. So if you're looking for a quick read that has a lot of depth, then I would recommend this. My friend just recommended this to me like last week. So it's, it's curious that it's coming yeah. up again in my it's, life. It's so. beautiful. <laughs> and I'm not Korean American, but you know, I'm a Mexican American and I, I found myself relating to, um, especially like how she in interweaves like food and the process of like making traditional dishes into like mm. this, this piece about her mother and losing her mother and losing her roots and coming back to them. I want to re-recommend the water pick, the water <laughs> flosser. Okay. This time last year, actually we're coming up on a year on episode 837. We had one of our listeners, Nikki on, she is a fellow with the American Academy for oral systemic health And uh, she joined us to talk about the importance of oral health and going to the dentist. And we talked about the water pick and she gave a big yay to it. Well, that excited me because I hate the string floss. Water picks are way less invasive and they feel much more comfortable. Well, I went to the dentist last week and I got to admit, yes, even after that discussion with Nikki last year, I hadn't been to the dentist in about two years, just with moving and um, COVID. I wasn't crazy excited about about going to the dentist. I went to the dentist last week. This dentist was basically sucking my dick with 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 her review of my mouth. She was like, (laughs) I can't believe how clean your mouth is. I feel like I don't even have anything to clean. She had nothing to scrape off my teeth. I couldn't believe this. I'd never received such a great review from the dentist. No cavities, no nothing. She was like, do you use a water pick? I was like, yes, I use a water pick. So (laughs) I was just so relieved to see that the water pick is actually working. And um, wow, I was over the moon about that dentist visit. And I can't wait to go back in another just six months. Now I'm on a good schedule. I'm sticking with it, baby. Water pick. I won a water pick. I won one from my dentist. Yeah. So they had a Christmas raffle and they and and I won the water pick and then I gave it gave it away after like (gasps) six months because because I kept getting water everywhere and I don't know how the fuck you use it without (laughs) (laughs) it takes a little practice. (laughs) You have a convenient switch on it when you lose control. But I know what you're talking about. I was like, I can't do it. Oh, but it's so so maybe better than the stream. And try try it again. Like, Are you a Costco member? I am. Okay, so they normally have good prices on the water picks. Okay. And what do you recommend, Tarek? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was going to recommend some music, actually. Um, so uh, it's a two-part recommendation, actually. So I have the band Jungle, first and foremost. Like, 
absolutely incredible, but they just released an album this year titled Volcano, which is really good. But the reason I'm recommending them is because they have insanely well choreographed music videos. Like they're so much fun to watch. If you're in a state where weed is high or what? Oh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. If you're in a state where weed is legal, um, it's a great like high watch to just like look at all their videos because they're so good. Um, and then my, I literally just yesterday, I was like thinking about what I was going to recommend. And I was in Nordstrom Rack and I shazammed a song by this guy named Weathan, W-H-E-T-H-A-N. And his album from 2020 um, called Fantasy is actually like really fantastic. And my favorite thing about this guy is that in his Apple Music bio, it talks about how his name is Weathan because he started making music because his friends told him to remix a Wheat Thins jingle. And so <laughs> he got, uh, his name was almost Wheat Thins. And then Wheat, Wheat Thins was like, no, you can't change your name. So it, he changed it to Wheat Thins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it just, it's just really good music. So if you're looking for some new tunes, Jungle and Wheat Thins. Cool. Yeah. Well, Tarek, it's been so great having you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really thank appreciate you for it. having me on. It was like yeah. a blast, a blast yeah. from the past. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, this is really, really great. Um, anything you want to plug? Where can listeners find you online? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tarek underscore Rauf, and that's T A R I Q underscore R A O U F. Uh, also there on Instagram, which I'm like. Like I have ignored Instagram for 10 years and I'm finally actually starting to use it, which is a lot of fun. I was going to say, yeah, you, you're doing some videos on there now. Yeah, which is cool. well, it's it's crazy. My engagement on Instagram is like 10 times higher than it is on uh, TikTok. And it's just, it's so curious because when I was making videos for people I didn't know on like TikTok, I was like so nervous. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then I realized that when I started making videos for the people that actually did know who I am and like followed me, I was like, oh, this is so much more fun to do yeah so. yeah that makes sense cool well yeah. we'll have links in the show notes as uh as well so people can follow you there great a couple other closing reminders before we wrap up make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode um by the way listeners are like a couple listeners listening live <laughs> jay tinch I said, uh, three, do three-hour episodes, please. And Meg said, you can all talk to me about anything for hours. Thanks, guys. I, that's really sweet. Um, so yeah, follow us so you can continue getting this content, uh, which forms three hours over two episodes. And we'd also appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have any feedback, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Threads, and then over on TikTok, we're Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Pamela. And I'm Tark. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I didn't prep you on that either. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> when there's people I know, I do way less prep. I'm just like, I'll figure it out. It's fine. <laughs>